0: have a Bible, you want to make your way to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 here today. Great to be with you. You're of those times in your life where you're wondering what in the world is going on, where life just seems to be out of sync and things are going wrong all the time. I'm sure it doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me on a regular basis. And I think the difficulty is, hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They're going to get you one. But the difficulty is, is that making sense and solving the puzzles of life. We say, I'm puzzled about this. And the puzzles of all the different pieces, it's like your life is this 2,500-piece puzzle, and it's been dumped out in a big pile, and you have to make head sense, heart sense, logical sense with what's going on. And there are times that because of the circumstances in your life, you just feel turned upside down. As a matter of fact, in the world, they have a bumper sticker they put on the back of their vehicle that says, stuff happens. Different word, right? Stuff happens. And stuff happens no matter whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, stuff's going to happen. And how you process that is so vital, especially in your walk with God. And there have been times I'm going through such difficulties that I just open my Bible and make sure this verse hasn't left it. Check it out. Verse 28 of Romans chapter 8 says, "And we know that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose." What an incredible promise! But just because I'm loving God doesn't mean everything is fine and dandy, right? We were coming here and we had a very narrow connection from our New York flight where we live and a connecting flight in Detroit this week. And we're coming to serve God. My wife and I, we love Jesus. We wake up and say, Lord, use our lives. Therefore, there's this mysterious thought that's usually not connected to reality. That means we're just going to float our way to the West Coast, right? Because we're God's servants. We don't have trials. We don't have struggles. I mean, the people at Starbucks are going to give me a free coffee. It's just the way it should be. I want to be a part of the bless me club. I'm serving God. And as I'm going through this process, we have a very narrow window to make our connection. It's 30 minutes. I usually don't plan things that narrowly. Usually you need 45 to an hour. But I'm really familiar with the airport. No problem. We're going to make this. We land on time. It was beautiful. I'm sitting there in the seat, nudging my wife. We're on time. We're going to make this connection. I'm all about efficiency. I'm about, about conquering things. And then we sit there. And we sit there. And we sit there, and 15 minutes later, you see what had happened is they had a power outage right before moi landed. Now, why is that? How's that possible? I'm God's servant. They had a power outage, and what happened is it cleared all the security codes, so the fun jet bridge that comes out and connects to the plane, their security code doesn't work. They have to come in and reprogram it. While well, we sit there, and I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, well, if they get it within this time, we can run. At Detroit, you have to go down underneath this tunnel over to this other terminal. I'm like, we're still going to get it. They finally get it. it. takes them 15 minutes. But because we were on time, the margins are a little better than I thought. And then we go out. And I'm like, look at my wife. Hey, I'm going to get it. The jet bridge is cold. And they're going to bring our luggage up. And you pick it up that accordion metal door because of the plane that we were on. I tell my wife, just go out there where it's warm. I'm going to take care of things. And we're standing there and we're standing there. And the agent is pushing the button, and every time the elevator comes up, this metal accordion door has this big bulge in it, like something's trying to explode through it, and it won't open the door. Another 15 minutes. Everybody's now going to live their fight. You ever hang out with really whiny travelers? They're mad. They're mad. And here's this bulging thing, and everybody's like, whatever that we want to kill that bulge. They finally get maintenance there and this guy gets super aggressive and he just rips this thing open like he's the Hulk. And that bulge was this suitcase that was being smashed by the elevator over and over and over and over. wasn't anybody's suitcases, it was hers. I'm looking at it with this ribbon on it and I'm like, this is not happening. Jesus, I'm your servant, what's about this, you know? having this conversation with the Lord. Smash. It exploded the entire seam and everything. And so now all Tammy's little dainties are revealed to everybody. I'm kind of looking like, this is my wife's stuff. Hey, dude, don't be checking out her. And you know, I mean, I have to grab the thing and it's, it's smashed. I, I got some pictures, I think, here actually of it. Uh, this is the smash. See where the door kept smashing it on the top? And uh, this is right outside the gate when I got it in. And there's nothing holding that. I just have to carry it like that. There's no, no connection all the way around it. And, and so, then they give her a wheelchair. They said, put your suitcase in a wheelchair. So, baggage claim puts a bag around it like that's going to help. Put it in a wheelchair. Now we're going through, and every single employee at the airport is doing what? Looking at her like, what do you got a wheelchair for? So now we're getting the evil eye from the employees because we want to shout, they told us to use your wheelchair, leave us alone. We're going through there, and then this, we have a long ways to go. And this wheelchair, you know what it has? It has the wonky cart wheel. (laughs) But it wasn't just your average consistent, blah, 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 blah. Here we go. It would wind up. (laughs) So much so, the guy walking next to us stopped us to see if he could troubleshoot. I'm like, we're even annoying the pedestrians going by us. <laughs> Finally, we see one of those carts, so we ditch that, but we don't know. One of the guys that's next to a kiosk, he says, how'd you get that cart in there? We're thinking, we went from the wheelchair to the cart. We think we're okay now. No, 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 no. They're not supposed to be past a certain gate. So I say, forget it. I just take on my key caveman role. I pick it up. It's now time to get on a later flight, and I'm just... I'm. Uh, Shall we say I'm becoming more aggressive with life? Because pastors don't lose their cool. But I was right on the edge. Anyway, so I pick it up, and I'm thinking, fine. I have to walk in, you know, holding the thing like this. I hit a lady in the head going on the airplane. I don't even know. I'm just like, and Tammy's behind me. He's like, oh, you know, what's this guy doing? So you finally get here, and you arrive. And I think, well, it crushed my wife's mirror. So we think, well, we made it. Praise God. We'll go get another suitcase. We did. And Tammy puts on her first pair of pants, and there's glass from her mirror in her pants, and now it sticks her in the leg, and she has to get out the glass from her her leg. I'm like, I'm coming to serve you, Jesus. And stuff happens, right? Now, I know that you guys never have times like that because you have beautiful, blessed lives, and God needs to teach me a bunch or something. But I'm just saying, sometimes you feel a little bit more like Jacob does. In Genesis 42, 36, when everything was going wrong with his life, look what Jacob says. Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. You want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. What Romans just say, no, they're all for you. God's going to work it together for good for you. But Jacob, I think a lot of times in our life, we feel a little bit more like Jacob than we do Romans 8, 28. How come all this stuff's against me? Why are all these things against me, right? And so in this process, we want to contemplate here today what will bring us victory when we face the stuff in life as we walk through this step by step. I had a big dose of encouragement. The new flight that I got? It said Delta, DL, 2911. And all I can think of was Jeremiah 2911. That was the flight number, right? And so I just started meditating on that. And I told my wife, I said, check this out. This new flight we're going to get, 2911. Jeremiah 2911 says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord knew just to encourage me as his servant. He didn't patch up the suitcase and put it back together, but he reminded me of his promise. You know what? It's all good. Don't worry about it. It's all going to work out. You see, the thing is, is that in the midst of your struggles, the psalmist said this in Proverbs 15, 15, all the days, that's supposed to be all, the A is gone for some reason, of the afflicted are evil, but he was of a merry heart has a continual feast, There's no difference between probably the circumstances of those individuals. It's just one cannot see God and trust him. But the person that has a merry heart is having a continual feast, even when things are going wrong. Because Jesus is on the throne, right? God's on the throne. He knows. He sees what we need. He knows these things. Now, as we break down this incredible lifeline of truth to our hearts, five explosive truths come out of it. We're going to look at them one by one. The first thing we see is, what do we know? I mean, this passage tells us something to know. It tells us, and we know. Does it say we think? Does it say we hope? Does it say that we guess? All things. No, it's all things. But when things go wrong, we're just like Peter when he tells us... (laughs) This is how our response is, our knee-jerk reaction to stuff happening in First Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Now, when strange things happen, isn't that exactly what we think? This is strange. Why is this happening? I, I don't know why this is happening. And, and the circumstances where they, they snowball... Speaking of snowballing, you see, I didn't even tell you that before I got on the flight, I dropped off my truck at the body shop because we were in a horrendous storm in upstate New York just the previous week in a whiteout, ended up in a four-foot ditch trying to get my my daughter and granddaughter to an airport, and we ripped off my mirror, and it sheared off. This post ripped off my driver mirror and sheared off the two door handles of my truck so you couldn't get in and out. And we had just dropped it off. I told my daughter, this simple trip to the airport is going to cost me a thousand bucks just for my deductible. The damage to my truck was 3500 I left the snowstorm, and I thought I was coming to beautiful sunny California, but I had to go through the luggage and airport of hell to get to you guys. <laughs> so I hope you appreciate this one message right here. Because if you don't, it's all for naught. but the thing is is that we know right uh, today beautiful sunshine you know beyond a shadow of doubt if there's even when there's clouds and there's wind and there's rain what do you know beyond those clouds and that rain the sun is shining you know that right I mean it's just a fact but you might not see it and that's what happens is there is a closure of our vision The sun is constant, and God's care for us is constant. So we know. And so you have to practice a little bit. We know these things are going to work together for good. So you're going to help me out, a little audience participation. count of three, you're going to say, we know. We're not guessing. We're not hoping. Everything that's going on in your life, if you're a child of God, is working together for good. One, two, three. We know. We know. Now, the difficulty is for you and I. As we know it here on Sunday morning, by this afternoon, I've forgotten. (laughs) How about you? I'm a preacher and I forget. That's why I try to preach so much, just to remind myself of all the stuff I constantly forget. And that's what a minister's job is. Just think of a pastor as a square yellow piece of paper with head and legs. A poster note. Just to remind us, we know that these things are working together. Number two powerful thought that comes from this passage, it tells us, is how many of these things we know, that all these things that are happening, how many of them? Some things, a few things, the good things, the obvious things, the things I understand. What about the mysterious things that trouble and confuse me, the things I don't understand? What does it say? All things. All things. All things. The good, now think about this. Only a sovereign God can take the good, the bad, and the ugly of a messed up life like mine and yours and do something good with it. Isn't that true? You mix all the ingredients in who you are as a human, and then you're connected to other humans. And then there's this broader mass of humanity you're connected to, and all the different things that can go on. It's not some things. It's not a few things. It's not only the good things. It is all things. That was weak. It is all things. Okay. So we know that all things are working together for good. You see, in Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, the things I understand, the things that are small potatoes really, I mean, smash luggage, nobody's in the hospital, nobody's on life support. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's, it's inconsequential, honestly. It's a little irritating. That's about the bottom line of it. But when you think about the more difficult things, when I'm sitting with a father and a mother and their 17-year-olds just drown, when I'm sitting there with the family and here's this person that was healthy last week and because of a asthma attack, we're there to pray as we unplug them from life support. To... Look at that wife as that husband's walked off with the other woman. To talk about the truly painful things and weep with those who weep in the hardships of life when we don't understand. And this is the thing people get hung up on. But why, pastor? Have you ever got hung up in the whys of life? Why, 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 why? I don't have an answer to that. but I do have the answer of who God is. And when I can't answer the why of life, I point to who he is and his love and his grace and his goodness. I don't know why. I don't know why this happened now. I don't know how God's going to use it together for good. I don't know. I don't have the final plan. I don't have the pieces that come together. Isaiah tells us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God said, as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high his thoughts are above yours. And yet you and I, with our three pounds of gray matter, are constantly trying to know as much as God. And and it's pretty... (laughs) epically stupid, (laughs) to be honest, right? And people say, well, if I could understand God, I would believe in him. I say, no, you don't. No, you wouldn't. Because if God was small enough for my mind to understand, he would not be big enough for the problems of my life. We want to reduce God to some small, understandable, we want to make him in our image. People say this, they preface so many sentences this way. Well, if I was God... Sure, you ever said that? Well, if I was God, we all cringe because we know you. And, and we almost say, please don't even finish this sentence because if you're God, we're all checking out voluntarily. Right? Because of who you are. Because of the short-sightedness of man. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Paul the Apostle is talking in this passage about people judging one another, but then he tells us a real root cause of people judging circumstances, situations, and people is that you are judging it before the time. So you're making all these half baked judgments, because you don't have the facts. You don't know what the motive is of that person that did that. And yet humans, with their very, very finite, limited thinking capacity, pick up a judge's gavel and a black robe and a bench and go through life judging everything in every circumstance. Sad, really sad. Right now, some of you have been judging things before the time. Say you got a prodigal, you raised kids in the ways of the Lord. They know, knew Jesus growing up, and now they're not walking with the Lord. Common phenomenon. And they come up and they basically judge, "My child is lost and going to hell, and they're not walking with God." And I say, "Not yet." And they said, "What? I just told you, my child was." I said, "I said he's not walking with God yet, because you're already passing judgment." that you think is this is going to be the final condition of his heart or her heart. And you're judging them before the time. It ain't over. I mean, you say in the world, tell the fat lady sings. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> When's a fat lady? I, maybe she's the last gal at the opera. I don't know who she is, but she's out there somewhere singing a tune. <laughs> That signals it's over. But let me tell you, as long as somebody's heart is beating and there is breath in their lungs, there is hope for the grace and the wonderful love of Jesus Christ to break into their life. So when people tell me those things, I just simply tell them, not yet. And they always come back, what do you mean not yet? I said, not yet, you're praying? I tell them, they're working on their testimony. It's okay. They're working on that testimony. They want to figure it out. They want to, you know, they got a journey. And well, I know, but I gave up. Now you're judging them based on your experience. They got a whole different journey. They have a different personality. They're coming from a different perspective in life. Why are you so? Because our small mental capacity, we have about this much bandwidth to view life, it's very small. And the Lord tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. To open the perspective, this is a beautiful thing. Why don't today you just let God be God and you be a human? Because as long as you're rivaling him for his throne, you're a miserable person. Because you are not all-knowing, you're not everywhere present at once, and you're not all-powerful. Therefore, I'm a small human that trusts that God's going to work because he loves me, right? Right? And I trust, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that his ways are above my ways. But the thing is, the pieces of the puzzle, don't you wish you just knew how your life was going to roll? Let's say you're 17 years old, and don't you wish you just had the f- picture of exactly what your life is going to be? Like a puzzle. Check it out. I was in Walmart yesterday, and I was looking at some puzzles. And the first one I looked at, because you see, your life is like this, these puzzle pieces, now, now, what do you do? This is a little children's one. I thought it was adorable. It was really cute. I, I, I think we got a picture of, oh yeah, these two girls. Now, don't you wish your life was like that? Check it out, right? This looks like my wife and her best friend, Carlene. She's a little blonde and Carlene's got brown hair with brown eyes and, and, and they got their Barbie thing in the back. Check it out. They're eating hot dogs. Don't you wish you could just eat hot dogs for the rest of your life and got, not get fat? They have hot dogs beside them. They have a nice latte in their camping cup. The, the brunette has a s'more, hot dogs and s'mores. I mean, does life get... They have a tranquil little lake behind them. We have a cupcake over here for dessert. Don't you want your life to be like that? Just, just that picture. Now, the picture doesn't show that they forgot their sleeping bags and there's mosquitoes. Right? But these are the pieces of the puzzle of their life. Now, the thing is, if I just have these two, I have no point. Around, I don't know how they go together. Do you? We did puzzles for years with our kids. And what do you do? For us, the winters in Idaho are cold. And they're, they get dark early. So we would take our dining room table and we'd do a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. We'd, we did a number of them through every winter. And so we would put the box up like this, right? Because when I picked this piece... I look at the picture, the complete picture. This picture has no lines, it has no seams, and it's perfect. And whoever created this puzzle made this beautiful picture, and then they cut this into pieces, and we have to put the pieces together one step at a time, one day at a time. But God has the perfect picture. But you're going through life with puzzles like this, and you have no box to look at because you don't know what your life's going to look like, correct? What do you do when you find, when you start a puzzle? What's the very first thing you pick? The corners, right? And after the corners, the sides. Because we can always get those, right? The corner is always the easiest to find. And our life is like that. You know, in my life, if I'll pick the corners based on who God is, he loves you. He has a plan for you. He's gracious and he's forgiving. He's forgiving. Those four corners of my life, I just know God's going to work. And then the sides, these are all the promises of God's word. I, can, I know them, but it's the whole middle part of actually me involved. That's the trick, right? I know who God is. I have all his promises, but I got to put all the pieces together. And you and I are going through life, and we have these puzzles. Check it out. I didn't even know Jeff Foxworthy did puzzles. Check out Jack, Jeff Foxworthy's. It says... <laughs> In looking back over his life, Jack's only regrets were his job, his marriage, and his children. <laughs> that's the way a comedian does a puzzle, right? Is there anything left, Jack, that you're, you would be happy about? No, his jo- job, his marriage, and his kids' life stinks, right? <laughs> and that's the way you look when you go through life that way, too. Jack looks like he didn't know Romans 8.28, he went through life with all of these puzzles, and he was puzzled by his job and the coworkers. He's puzzled by his wife, mysterious women, how can you figure him out? And he's puzzled by his children with wills of their own. And some people, without the perspective of God's promise, are miserable old people. They are angry. They are bitter that life turned out the way it did. And they don't hang on to the promise that hey, you know what? If you just trust God, faith, hope, and love, trust God that good is coming from the hand of God, and walk in love with those around you. You know, Jack would have a big smile on his face instead of a big frown. This last one's really cool. It's a little startling, though. You know, I'm taking pictures. And who 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 has a uh, a puzzle on the shelf? Big TV show, Game of Thrones. But I love the picture of this guy hanging onto this crown, right? Isn't that the way you want to live life? The Bible says you're, you're priests and kings, you are royalty. And when you live the way God wants you to, simply in faith, do you know what overcomes the world and the troubles of your world? John tells us in 1 John you guys have overcome the world, and what gives you the power to overcome? Your faith. You trust God with your life. And the quality of your heart and the quality of life will change your perspective on things. So we know all things. The third thought here that comes from this passage of Scripture is what will be the results? It says in Romans 8, 28, all these things are working together for good. The good and the bad and the ugly of your life, those are hard. They are difficult. It doesn't mean that individual ingredient of your life, that individual situation is good. I see some Christians kind of, they, they almost deceit, try to deceive themselves that they say, I'm going to be thankful for everything because the Bible tells me to be thankful for everything. That's the will of God in Christ Jesus. No, it says be thankful in everything, not for everything. Am I thankful that my truck's wrecked and my wife's back? No, I'm not thankful for that, but I am giving thanks in it that God's still on the throne and he's good and he's going to use all this together. You see, it's a very different perspective. But all these things are going to work together for good because God has a way of bringing the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life and making beautiful things. Only God can do that. You see, look at how James says it in James 1, verses 2 through 4. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When you go through difficulties, God is growing patience, which literally means the strength to bear up under hardship. The more hardship an individual goes through and the more they bear up underneath it, Patience is having its perfect work. And if you don't, it's like going to the gym. You guys know the gym thing? Last month, you know, January, you made this big resolution. You're going to lose 30 pounds and go to the gym. It lasted two days because you worked out so hard. You had to wake up and, you know, eat ibuprofen for a week because you're so sore. (laughs) Threw in the towel. Forget that. We call that vitamin I, ibuprofen for old people when they try to exercise. And so... You, you know, you go to the gym. Why do you go to the gym? Isn't it the weirdest thing? I'm going to pay to go hurt myself. I'm going to pay. I'm going to give them money. They're going to make money. They're going to make profit off me because I'm going to go hurt my muscles so that they'll grow in strength. So I can do what? So I'll be strong enough to bear up in life. That's what trials do to you. It's the gym of God working patience through the trials. This is how something that's bad, a trial, is used for something good, helping me grow in patience and strengthening. It says in Romans 5, verses 3 through 4, we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Here he tells us that trouble, that is tribulation, difficulties, hardships, they make you persevere. So I've gained patience, that is strength to bear up, and now the perseverance is the ability to keep going through even when life is hard. That's why when you have the history of a long marriage, my wife and I, if God, by God's grace, we make it to May 17th this year, we'll be married 34 years. And yet another four years from our first date, we've been together uh, 38 years. And uh, I tell young couples, you know, they're going through a rough patch. Maybe you're here and you're struggling a little in your marriage. A couple years in, trying to figure each other out, idiosyncrasies, opposites attract, you got all of the friction, all the sandpaper of relationship coming together, and you're just beside yourself, and you've been crying this week, and you guys can't work through anything, and, and you come up after church, and you talk to the pastor. I say, you know, it's okay. You both love the Lord. You're going to make it. They look at me, how do you know? How do you, how do you know we're going to make it? I say, because as long as you keep trusting Jesus and you stay in the same household and want to talk it out and work it out, you're going to get stronger. Because every time you go through a season of difficulty in marriage, and it doesn't matter if you, you've been in the race for 20 years or 20, every time you go through rough things and you have to grow through it, you're stronger. But they don't have the hindsight of a lot of years. They got six months of a person that they were just gaga about, and now they can't hardly look at each other. They say, well, I think we don't love each other anymore." minute. No. Your emotional affection that was flowing now is, un, is stopped flowing because you have unresolved conflict. Resolve the conflict and the emotions start flowing again. No, I don't think, you know, you got to. Anyway, this is not a marriage success. So <laughs> forget that cut. We're moving forward. We can't get bogged down in, in your counseling. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 4, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. Did you know that? When you go through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and difficulties, and you cry out to God and He comforts you, when you see others go through the good, the bad, and the ugly, and now you understand what happens. You are moved with compassion to go comfort them, and God's comforted you, and now you're a channel, you are a conduit, you are a vessel of comfort and blessing to them. Isn't that cool? Like you experience, so how did God work in those things? We're growing in patience. We're growing in perseverance. We're growing in character. That's forging character is the forging through difficulties of making good decisions all the time. That forges your character. And then you're filled with hope. What do I know about hope? Is that I know hope is the certainty of coming good from a loving father. That's what the biblical hope is. It's not I hope so. It's no a certainty. I hope. I know God is going to work in my life. I know that God is going to come through. Why? Because he's been coming through in my life for 35 years, 36 years. That's who he is. That's what he does. I don't know if you've ever heard the illustration about the scientists that were checking out rats. They put them in a, a, a barrel of water and they put them in there and when the, the rat would go all the way around the edge of the barrel like this and when it would scrape all the sides, it couldn't get out. And, and the average of that rat drowning was about 17 minutes. Because once they had went around and around and around, what'd they realize? There's no hope of getting out, right? They've checked out every opportunity. They can't get out. And then what these scientists did is that right before, the, right when the rat started to drown at the 17-minute mark, they took it out, fed it, took care of it for another month, and then they put it back in. You know how long that rat lasted the next time? 39 hours. What was the difference? Hope. What's the difference in your life? When God comes through over and over and over again, I'm like that rat. I'm in for 39 hours. Why? Because God's bailed me out every time. And some of you, you, even the look on your face this morning, you look like... (laughs) You look like you're scratching the barrel up, man. (laughs) But know that God is able. And once he does, and he does it for a decade, and he does it for two decades, and he does it for three... You know what? You can take it to the bank that God is faithful. And he is going to take care of you. So we know that all these things are going to work together for good. I liken it this way. When I grew up, my mom's an amazing cook. She can make all kinds of stuff from scratch. And when she would make a cake, say my birthday's coming, I want to watch her make the cake because I want to lick the bowl and the spoon when she puts it all in the pan, right? But when she's going through the process, she's got all these ingredients on the counter right? She's got flour. She's got sugar. She's got, depending on what it is, Crisco. She's got baking powder, baking soda, and, uh, or maybe it has lard, old school type of stuff. And, and it's got raw eggs there that they're going to put in, and a cup of milk. Now, if I sought to ingest, digest, eating the two cups of flour all by itself how's that going to go down oh well it's in the cake right it's in the cake how about if i drink or try to eat a cup of sugar how about a teaspoon of vanilla how about some baking soda some baking powder all right let's get the uh, <laughs> let's do a full cube of butter and just gobble it down I want you to know that that experience one time would solve me from ever liking a cake again. Because somebody tried to feed me the raw ingredients. But think about the mystery of this. You put all that together in one bowl and mix it up and it comes out like, right? That's what people do. They isolate the difficulty. They're trying to eat a cup of sugar. Because of that difficulty, they're trying to eat a couple of cups of flour. They're chewing on a cube of butter because they simply don't know how the pieces go together. And God is mixing your life the good, the bad, and the ugly, all these ingredients that look like they should not go together. And you look back when He does it and you go, wow, I can't believe God did that. I'm blown away, God's done that. I'm blown away, God's done that in my life, or my wife's life, or my children's life, or my family's. I'm just blown away because the individual isolated events were hard and painful and difficult. And if you look at them all by themselves, they stink. But when you put it all together, and God is a master, I just want you to know God is a master chef. And He is making something beautiful from your life. You see, it's all good. We know that all things work together for good. It's it's all good. That's why a child of God, people will see you in difficulties and they see the peace and the joy you have and they know what kind of hardship you're going through and they're going, man, what makes you tick, Jesus? He's good. I I know all this stuff's going on in my life, but I'm, I'm just trusting him. The wonderful thing is, is this is a promise. Who is this promise for? The fourth thought. Now, don't lose this, because some of you, if I stopped right here, you're going to go out and you're going to use it with all your unsaved co-workers at work. You're going to share it with your unsaved uncle. Check this out. Who is this for? It says, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For some here today, you haven't trusted your life to Jesus and just keep the bumper sticker, man, stuff happens because it's a crapshoot. That's what you got. Because this is not a promise to an unsaved person. This is a promise to a child of God. So you go, well, man, I want those promises. I want that promise. Well, then, trust in Jesus, and this promise is for you. The beautiful thing is that God loves people, and he wants to communicate that. 1 John 5.12 says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If, Jesus, if you have Jesus, it's kind of like the you know, milk commercial, got milk. You got Jesus? All right, you got life, and you got this promise. You don't have Jesus, you don't want to surrender your life, then fine. but this promise is not for you. It's amazing to me how unsaved people move through life grabbing a hold of the things they like about God and discarding everything else, and thinking that somehow they're going to I mean, people that want to talk nothing about Jesus, somebody dies, and then they start going around just comforting everybody. They're in a better place. I want to ask them, "How do you know that? You don't believe any of this. Oh, you wizard. I, I guess that's comforting. Have. Yeah, you're grabbing onto these thoughts and concepts that are presented from a loving God and the truths of his word, but you're dispensing them, but you don't believe them. So the promise is very specific. You see, because when you look at life without all the hope that I've been sharing with you, life's tough, right? Because there's no no faith and hope and love. I'm not trusting in all-knowing, all-loving God I'm not filled with the certainty that good is coming my way from his hand. And I'm not walking in love with others because I don't have faith, hope, and love, which are the greatest qualities of the Christian life. It tells us in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the unfaithful is hard, right? You think being a Christian is hard sometimes? Going through the stuff in life and not having God to trust in, that's hard. That's difficult. It tells us in Isaiah forty eight twenty there is no peace, says the Lord for the wicked. Why don't they ever have peace? It's because they're not trusting the prince of peace. Isaiah 48, 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commands, that your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Look what the Lord says. He said, if you'd have just listened to what I said, you would have had peace like a river, but you don't want it, so no peace like a river for you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus looked at a sea of faces of people that were going through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life. And he threw out that lifeline and invitation to say, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he'll give you that rest today. Maybe you don't even know why you're at church. You don't even know why you showed up here. You came because somebody promised you a burger afterwards. Hey, come to church, I'll give you a burger. Not a booger, a burger. (laughs) Who is this promise for? Believers in Jesus. That's for you. Isn't it awesome? Don't be sitting here thinking about, well, that's not good. No. If it's you, just enjoy that. It's for you. This promise is for you. Lastly, the fifth thought that comes from this passage of scripture is God has a plan. It says all of this is according to his purpose. Isn't that right? God has a plan. When an artist goes to paint a picture, they know in their mind what they're going to paint. When, when somebody's going to move forward with an architectural plan, I mean, they don't turn any dirt or lay the foundation until they have the blueprints. God has a plan for your life, even though you might not understand it. And like a puzzle, you're just getting a piece at a time. Genesis 50 verse 20, which is the equivalent of Romans eight twenty eight from Joseph's mouth in the Old Testament, he says, as for you, he was speaking to his brothers that threw him into pit, a pit, sold him into slavery, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people of life. He looks at his brothers and said, hey, you guys, you meant your harm to me, because some of you have been thinking in the course of all this, well, what about all the people that are the instruments of hurting me in the good, the bad, and the ugly of life? You're thinking about the people, right? This coworker did this, my ex wife or ex husband did this, so you got this going on, you got that, and you start thinking to yourself, yeah, but when, when are they gonna get their comeuppance? You see, we have this intense sense of justice in our soul. We're created in God's image, but our sense of justice is flawed because of our our human nature. And notice the the graciousness with which Joseph explains this. Because Joseph's walking in faith, hope, and love. He looks at his brothers and said, hey, you guys, you know what? You meant to hurt me. You meant evil. You threw me into that pit. You were sneering, making fun of me, mocking me, sold me into slavery, thought I was dead, going to die as some slave down in Egypt. You meant it for harm. And there are people that have tried to harm you and have said things about you and done things. And in your future, (laughs) you live on a planet with almost 8 billion people, like uh, 7.75 billion people. And you're going to get hurt and people are going to do things. But this is the beautiful thing. When you're trusting God, what did Joseph say? You guys, you humans meant this for evil, but God took what you did. He put it in the mixing bowl of the cake of my life and he did something cool with it. It made me the prime Minister of Egypt. right? How do you get from the pit to the palace? Potiphar's wife meant to do him harm. She said, rape." Now he's registered sex offender in Egypt. <laughs> he didn't do it. She meant him harm. He goes to the prison. How do you get from the prison to the palace? He knows God. You know God. People are trying to hurt you. You might get, I've been fired, I've been ridiculed, I've been mocked at work, I've been in all kinds of different circumstances. You know what? But I know God. It's like Jacob and Laban when they had their big Mizpah moment and they're in trouble, Laban runs him down. And, and <laughs> Jacob says, you've changed my wages 10 times, you tried to rip me off. This is his father-in-law, it's a very, I mean, Thanksgiving was great at their house. And uh, <laughs> you, tried, you changed my wages 10 times and ripping me off and stuff. And Laban steps up and he goes, It is in my power, he came with hundreds of men. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God that you serve, he talked to me last night in my dreams, said, Okay, can't touch you. Jake's like, I'm God's kid. <laughs> Hands off. Laban meant it for evil. what God do? Everything Laban did, God just turned it into blessing. Everything he did, he just turned it into a blessing. That's the cool thing about being God's kid. He's going to turn these things into a blessing because he can. This is the most revolutionary verse of my life. In the concept of people hurting me yet trusting God. Not only Joseph's declaration, but if you will, the PS of it in Psalm 7610. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall gird yourself. God looks at the wrath of man as they try to hurt his kids. And you see, I'm going to turn around that people just praise God because of this. That's what we do about Joseph's life. We just go, whoa, God, you're awesome. How'd you do all of that? Did you know the wrath of man? God can turn it around, throw it in the mixing bowl of the cake of your life. And they tried to hurt you and God blesses you through the circumstance of what they did. You see, the thing is, is that God has a plan. Whether it's in Joseph's life, you see it. Whether it's in David's life, you see it. In Moses' life, Paul's life. All the way through, all the way through history. God has a plan. And he puts the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And he mixes it together. And then he does this cool thing. Can I share with you the greatest mystery of Romans 8, 28? How can God work all things together for good? The cross. Is the cross not the greatest human injustice in all of history? Jesus being an innocent, flawless, perfect man, he only came to share truth and love and to heal the sick and to give legs to the lame man and to give sight to the blind man and to give hearing to the deaf man. And Jesus came to be an absolute 100% perfect blessing to humanity. And what did humanity do to him? What did the wrath of man do to him? Drive spikes through his hands and his feet, nail him on a cross, put a spear into his heart to make sure they did a good job. Put him in a grave. Now, if you were to judge that story preemptively and just say that's it, like the disciples were just so cast right? Before resurrection Sunday morning, as Paul Harvey said for so many years, and now the rest of the story. The rest of the story about the resurrected Christ and that which was the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of human history really climaxing at the pivotal moment at Golgotha, the place of the skull, became in that mixing bowl of this sweet-tasting cake of eternal life. Jesus conquered the two great enemies that you have. Sin and death, so that you could be obedient to God for the first time, and that you no longer fear death. And it came through the good, the bad, and the ugly of humanity, and God made the wrath of man to praise Jesus. Why are we singing praise songs to Jesus today? Because God used the wrath of man to get the job done. The mystery for so many people is that they can't believe that God can take pain and hurt, sinful violation, abuse, all these things and do something beautiful with it. But he can. He can. And when you begin to trust him to do that with your life, you're going to have a whole new perspective on life. Even when I'm in the midst of it, I can trust that God has a plan for me. God knows what he wants to do. You know, it says in Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may endure for the night, for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Isaiah 61, 3, To console those who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God wants to lift us into that place of praise from that heaviness that life can just truly knock the wind out of you. And I don't in any way want to diminish what you're going through here today. Maybe you're in the backwash of grief from losing somebody you really love. Maybe you just discovered one of your children have been sexually abused. Maybe you just discovered that your teenagers just, you know, made a huge mistake that's going to change the course of their whole life. God can take the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if you'll trust him by faith with whatever your circumstances here today and the coming Days, weeks, months, years of your life. He's got a beautiful picture, like a puzzle. But he only gives you one day at a time to put it together. So when you trust him, and you know good things are going to come because of it, and you can walk in love with people, you are going to live the highest quality of life that a human has the capacity to. Because each day, you're going to enjoy love, joy, and peace. Isn't that what everybody's looking for on the planet? They want love, love, joy, and peace. Now that, like the old B.J. Thomas song, they might be uh, looking for it in all the wrong places, but they're just looking. I mean, people just want love, they want joy, and they want peace. Isn't that what you want? And when you are filled with faith, what is the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what'll fill your heart in your life. The puzzles of life. I don't understand all the puzzles to my life, but what I know is the guy putting the puzzle together for me is going to do a perfect job. And I'm going to be muddling around in all my imperfection, and people are thrown into the mix to mix it all up, but all of us are dumped into this incredible mixing bowl, and God's going to make something that really, as the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.